because I believe science might offer an answer to the curse of the Bambino. Why someone took so long to hire that guy is beyond me. Anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. One of the great things about money is it, it buys a lot of things. One of which is the luxury to disregard what baseball likes, doesn't like, what baseball thinks, doesn't think. It's a threatening, not just a way of doing business, but, it's, but in their minds, it's threatening the game. How can you not be romantic about baseball? All right, welcome to the next Baseball Ops podcast with Top Velocity. I'll be your host, Brent Porcio. So, uh, you know, we've had, this is probably the fourth one that I've put out, which is just me on here talking. I hope it's not too boring for you, but uh, if... There's anyone out there that you think would be a great guest to have on the show? Uh, have them reach out to me. I'd, I'd love to get more guys on the show uh, and, and hear kind of their perspective and their thoughts and their practice, their research. Um, so any any good ones out there? If you haven't been through the podcast, um, you know we're on iTunes, but the podcast is great. I've been doing it for man maybe five years at this point. Not too many episodes, not as many as I have on YouTube. But a um, lot of great episodes there. Uh, the legendary uh, Dr. Glenn Fleissig has probably been one of the most popular ones on there. You know, one of the, the founding fathers of biomechanics. Uh, so it's great. Uh, those, are, those are great episodes to hear him, learn from him. I think I broke him up into many different ones. I also got uh, a lot of well-known doctors on there um, that uh, are big influencers in baseball research. Um, you know, some... Some uh, not big on on interviewing players. I maybe I should interview more players. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of legal issues on interviewing players. But um, be happy to have more players on as well. But um, but I, I just really enjoy those who study the game, and and that's really at the end of the day what makes a good coach. And that's going to kind of what we're going in today is, you know, a good coach I believe is someone that's up to date on the ba- the best and latest information to help players. You know, there's there's a player first or um, kind of this new uh, kind of video game strategy to the game, right? A more statistical analysis strategy to the game, which I understand the reason for both. And, and I kind of like both, but I hate how one kind of rips up the other one. Like the more statistical we get, you know, we, we see the game changing with the shifts in the field. Uh, we see obviously all the new technical jargon that comes out, the new the new sabermetrics that really define value of players. This kind of can take away the kind of the soul of the game. It, it can kind of basically make it more stoic, um, kind of you know more uh, unemotional. Uh, I mean, it takes away the, the the warriors, the the gladiators of the game, the emotions of the game, the the excitement of the game, which is why people go to it. And that's more on the player first side. Meaning, it's let's focus on the player. Let's let's build these heroes. Let's build these these um, up these great athletes that we all want to watch and, and learn er- everything we can about them to really see, you know, what they're going through, what, what they're overcoming in, in, in the game, in their life. And it makes it a more exciting game. So I understand like if we get too st- uh, scientific, too statistic driven that, that it can kind of kill the, what's so great about the game. But at the same time too, I think if we pull them together, it can be the best of both worlds. Meaning like if you make it player first and it's there to only help the player and then you give them as much information to make, you know, to bring the best out of them, that's what this should be all about. I think that creates the better game. And and I know in a lot of organizations, they get nervous that you can't dump all this information on players. They can't handle all, all of it. And I understand that. But 
we can't also treat them like they're subhuman, you know, like they're animals, they're dumb animals. Um, I think there's some are going to have to learn this information slower than others. And there's some that can handle it. They're so smart. They can handle all this great information. But I really believe this game is going to be much more enjoyable more fun to watch the better the information gets in the game because it allows these players to push the limits of their body. And at the end of the day, that's what we want them to do. And we want them to do that without destroying themselves because we want to see this do them do this over and over again. And that's what makes it so exciting and fun to watch because it's not something you can just go down the street, uh, you know, at the field in the park in your neighborhood and watch the level of athlete and the level of skill in, in, in that park. You know, that's why you go into a major league stadium and spend all that money is because you don't get to see those kind of players. And those players get better when we give them this information. And and that goes into the topic today. And it's it's kind of an old topic. It's a topic of long distance running. And we know this is a tradition of the game, specifically with pitchers, that we just run, we just run them forever, run them for days, right? When I played the game, it was like the average run was a five mile run, right? Um and, and this has been the way we condition baseball players. And it's, it's so old school, it's almost uh, nauseating to even hear it today because there's so much science around this, uh, this factor, this factor of how do we develop uh, the athlete, how do we develop the stamina, the endurance, the ability for them to um, basically continue to produce, right? And, and what we've learned is that run long distance running is the last thing you would want to do with these athletes. Now, a lot of people are going to say, well, I know a guy who threw really hard and played really long and he did a lot of long distance running. Right. And there is outliers because there's guys that are just genetically, they carry so much body mass genetically. They carry so much power because of that or strength because of that. They could run for months before their body really starts to deteriorate and break down. So those guys kind of throw everybody off. Everyone thinks, well, if they can survive it, then this, you know, 160-pound 5'10 guy can survive it, or this, you know, 190-pound 6'6 guy can survive it. No, they, they're obviously not carrying a lot of mass, and it can be detrimental to their performance. Yeah, that's what we're finding that the problem is with the cookie-cuttering, this endurance training for athletes is that, yeah, it might work for a few because their body, their DNA doesn't break down as bad to it. But then these others, which really, to be honest, are more your averages, are just going to deteriorate. And I'll never forget with my coaches, I used to hear, you know, they'd get frustrated because we came in throwing harder in the beginning of the year at the end of the year. And but yet they were the coaches that were training us. So it's like, uh, you know, it's like you got to kind of take responsibility for that as a coach. If, if players are coming in and they're getting worse under you, you got to take responsibility. Even if you're letting them do their own training, you got to take responsibility. Like you're supposed to be helping them. And then obviously, there's better ways of helping players. And I don't believe it's fear driven. I believe you got to sit down and treat them like men and help them grow up and help them really learn and understand how this works. And you got to study this stuff. That's why when I do these podcasts, I put in as much case information or, uh, you know, empirical evidence, uh, is, you know, scientific evidence as I can, because I want to make sure that um, it's not just me you're listening to, you're listening to the science, you're listening to my research and what I'm discovering that is being put out into the industry that we, um, to make sure everybody's paying attention to it. And, and this is a key thing, just talking about when it comes to how do we condition the baseball player, or, or specifically the pitcher, should we run uh, long them, run them long distance? And and the answer is no. We shouldn't do it again. Now, if you want to go out 
and you want to jog five minutes for a warm up, I don't care. But if you're going to do any, anything more than 15, 20 minutes of long distance running, we got a problem because your body's going to start remodeling. And I'm going to start with this one, non-compatible. Now these are case studies. Always suggest you go to Google Scholar and you and you search these as I call them out. Non-compatibility of power and endurance training among college athletes. It's as simple as that. It's basically saying that endurance training is not compatible with power training. And here's the thing too: you got to understand the names here. Names, uh, the terminology is very important, but also too it can have many different meanings. For example. And a lot of these studies, they call long distance, low interval training, endurance training, and they call short interval power or high intensity training, power training. That it really shouldn't be said as endurance because, and, it, and this is important to understand, endurance can be, you can endure power training and you can endure low intensity uh, training. It's the, in, to endure something means to build the a body's energy in that capacity to a high enough level to where you have enough of it over time, right? That's pretty much what endurance is. So when I say endurance, yeah, typically I'm talking about long distance or low interval for long periods of time, but I could also be talking about enduring over time, high interval. And, and at the end of the day, that's how we, if we're going to simply define how we need to understand conditioning, we need to find it in two really terms, low intensity training, high intensity training. Okay. Low intensity training is going to be obviously not using a lot of energy, not using a lot of force, not using a lot of muscle activity, high intensity, a lot of force, a lot of muscle activity, a lot of energy to, to, to pump that. And, and understand too, the body's energy, which is kind of, it's different than a machine. Like we put gas in a car, that car can drive, you know, an hour for 20 miles an hour, or, you know, they're going to drive less at hundred miles an hour. It's obviously going to burn more. And because of that, the body understands that and actually is, is better than a car. So it has specific energy for the high speed driving and specific energy for the low speed driving. And if you're constantly doing low speed driving with the body, it's going to store more of the low speed energy. And the problem is if you're storing building or you're, you're telling your body store this low speed energy. And then in the game, you're going, Hey, I need all this high speed energy. How effective was your endurance training? Obviously not that effective. And that's why we need to understand this because everybody's confused here. So we need to know what demands we put on the body. Then the body goes out and it tries to improve against those demands. So if we keep putting low intensity training on the body, it's going to try to build energy for that, which is low intensity energy. And then it's going to go into the game and it's not going to have what it really needs is the high intensity energy, right? So that's why it's saying it's incompatible. So for example, in the study, it said this research demonstrated that power training and intense and in intense lengthy cardiovascular endurance training are not compatible with the aerobic training resulting in a decreased power among college baseball players. Such a decrease in lower body power during the length of a baseball season is a negative outcome that may must be avoided to maintain performance in both pitchers and position players. It is suggested that the conventional metabolic conditioning for baseball players, which generally, generally includes extension aerobic endurance exercise be altered to include interval type training or repeated sprint conditioning. 
by keeping all conditioning <clears throat> on the power end of the muscular fitness spectrum, power can be maintained for an even increased through or even increased throughout a baseball season. So what it's saying is exactly what we're talking about. If we put the demands more on the power side and we extend the demands of power needed, then what happens is our body buffers or stores more of that energy, uh, that more of that uh, that power energy, then it will store more of the say long distance, low intensity energy. So that's why I wanted to start there. Cause that study really, I mean, just in that abstract, it gives you a practical application of how this works. And it's, it's showing with baseball players that when you force them to train and condition with more, uh, endurance, long distance, slow uh, in low intensity training, it actually brought down their power performance in the game. Okay. So that that's huge. So that's why when we go back to my coaches, I were like, why do you come into the season throwing harder than you do at the end of the season? It's because I'm doing too much low interval, uh, extensive endurance training and my body's remodeling or not storing power energy or even remodeling the muscular system to not be as powerful because you're building it and you're, 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 you're adapting it to more of the low intensity. So what happens is those athletes are going to have slower bat speed. They're going to have less ball velocity, sprint speed. All these are negatives. These are huge negatives. So here's the thing. This is a coach forcing you to roll, run long distance poles is actually bringing, going to force your, your, your performance to go down. Now you got, like I said, you got the a genetically big guy in your team. He throws hard. He's seen less of a performance decrease in you because you're leaner. You, and you're losing a lot more weight in this kind of training. So that's the negative here. You're sitting here probably going, coach, my velo's dumping because of this training. He's going, well, so-and-so over here, peer number one, who's, you know, 50 pounds every new, it's not happening to him. Well, of course, coach, he has a body that it doesn't deteriorate as fast as my body. And that's where you're going to have the problem. And I know that's a real tough place to be in politically because the coach might go, well, he's playing more than you. So I'm going to keep doing this and it's working. Right. And, and you're kind of stuck. So what do you do at that point? I mean, I'm just going to give you a quick scenario. That's something where you need to, when you get out of that coach's influence, you need to go do some high intensity, shorter interval explosive training. Yeah, your body's kind of being stuck in between, but it's better than just going one way. So that's what I would do. Also too, I, when I would do it, when a coach said run five miles, I'd take my watch and I'd sprint as fast as I could for 10 seconds and then jog and then sprint. And I broke it up and I put in the intensity aspects of it. But that, you know, let, let's go to this next study here. It says the relationship between measures of low body, lower body power and pitching velocity and professional baseball pitching. It, the conclusion says sprint, sorry, some of these are too small for me to read, sprint cycle performance and more specifically, the mean output over the duration of the sprint has a significant linear relationship with both peak and mean throwing velocity in baseball pitchers, professional baseball pitchers. Here's the deal. Th this nails it. This, this study nails it because what it's saying is the, the correlation to the improvements in the skill and, and then the, the power and, the, and the, you know, the dynamics of the skill, the, the throwing velocity specifically for pitchers, the true connection 
to the training application is the output of power you're generating while performing whatever it is. If it's sprint cycling, if it's sprinting, if it's long distance running, that intensity, the, uh, your body's ability to produce power output in that moment is having a direct correlation and effect on your in-game power performance. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. Pretty much what it says is it doesn't matter what you're doing. It could be sprinting, jumping, cycling, as long as it's forcing your body to put out a high amount of power in the movement, it's going to drive up the hot, your power production in your skill or in, in the game. So think of it that way. It doesn't matter what you do. And, and I think variety is better because it, it, it makes sure that the body is good at moving it multi-dimensional or multi-planar. And then that's one thing that's very important because as pitchers, we advance, we power through all planes. So I do like in my training, when I'm doing power training, to train through as many planes and as many angles and movements and speeds as I can. But at the end of the day, remember the output. Feel the output you're pumping through your body and put that as high as you possibly can because that's what you're going to want in game, that ability to, to tap into that power output to go up. So this study's really, really nailing it for us when it comes to um, why, when it comes to conditioning training, what are we doing? What's the best thing to do? It's just the power output. Whatever you're doing, we need to push up the power output. And, but there's many more studies that are going to kind of echo these two. So these, these are probably the two best. Many more are going to echo it. And at the very end, I'm going to give you one that's just going to knock it out of the park. So the next one is the impact of kinetic chain factors on pitching performance of NCAA baseball players. It says the results suggest elevated K-factor scores. K-factor is the kinetic chain. So basically, all the scores through the kinetic chain's uh, ability to move. The measurements of the kinetic chain. It said, or a pitcher's capacity to proficiently transfer energy during agility drills contributed improvements of in-game baseball pitching performance. So the study says the way that the factors of performance that the kinetic chain can produce is purely driving their in-game performance. So once again, that's why I like multi-planar because it's saying like you're using this whole kinetic chain and agility is, you know, basically the ability to move the body uh, through all these planes and, and, and how well we're moving the body through all these planes. All this is critical to driving in-game performance. So that's why I get into a lot of variety of explosive movements. That's why speed and agility training, that's what we're trying to do. A lot of variety moving through all planes of movements, high intensity, short intervals. So when I say interval, this is the amount of time in the movement or in the exercise or in the drill. You want to be in a short amount of time so we can go to high amount of output. For example, it's like with pitchers. A relief pitcher throwing one inning is probably going to throw a lot harder than a pitcher, a starting pitcher is going to throw six, seven innings, right? So that's why the time factor drives your ability to produce the energy. Because go back to the car analogy. If I put a, a full tank of gas in the car, I'm going to burn that tank of gas out in a shorter amount of time, the higher speeds, right? The higher uh, performance of the engine. The same thing's going to happen in your body. So the, the, the point is, is train there. Train in that high interval, short amount of time. So your body will try to increase that amount of time that you can train in that high intensity, right? To, to help us in the game for the same purpose. Um, we also see too, a lot of field measurements, basically, or, or um, specific test batteries that these studies have showing like a 10 yard sprint or, or a 60 yard dash. 
majority of the time you're seeing higher levels of the game are bigger, stronger, faster, right? So understand that we're, we're, we're telling you don't do endurance or long intervals, slow intensity endurance training because it's going to take down your performance in game to produce velocities because we see all these guys have high velocities. But at the same time, too, the studies are showing all those guys with high velocities, the majority of the time, they're better, they're more explosive, they're quicker, they're faster, they're stronger in all these drills and movements that we should be training in to buffer more of that power energy, right? So the, the drill is going to help produce the performance and also the time in the drill is gonna help produce more of that performance, right? So get in the drills and spend more time in the drills. Endure those drills longer, okay? Baseball throwing speed and baseball running speed, the effects of ballistic resistance training. This study basically said, the training group specifically improved throwing speed. No change was recorded for the control group. Both groups increased running speed, but the increases were significantly greater for the training group. And the training group was doing all these explosive uh, movements, right? These speed and agility movements, all right? So that's kind of a duh study, right? The, typically, the guys who actually trained explosively were more explosive, duh right? So that's why we need the training. Here's another one. I've, I use this one in one of the other podcasts. Agility measures related to strikeouts of NCAA baseball players. It literally showed that there's that you can correlate the in-game performance, the in-game statistics to their ability or their measurements in the agility drills. So guys that have like better measurements and better speeds and times and explosiveness in their agility drills, they're typically have the better in-game statistics, strikeouts, you know, uh, you know, home runs, on-base percentage. Though typically they correlate. That that's great to know. Like I'm just showing you how this is all connected. It's not a waste of time, and it drives everything you want. So you got to get in these short interval explosive drills and endure them over time. You know, and I like to say that a coach instead of saying go out and run for an hour. Obviously, you're going to jog and or do you know 30 poles, whatever it is, for an hour. He could just say, go out for 30 minutes or 45 minutes and do 10 sprints, do you know 20 ladders, do uh, you know sidewinders, rapid response. I mean, all these are in the top velocity programs. If you want an insane amount of speed and agility drills, it's all in the top velocity programs. You need to go out and do that. And here's the other thing: if if you're a guy who like this, you're like oh, I do sprints test that you might not be still training explosive enough just because you do sprints doesn't mean you're putting a lot of tensity in specifically if that's all you do with sprints your body's already used to it and it's a found a way to produce less energy understand that guys that's why we plateau because the body's survival mechanism says if you keep giving me the same exercise over and over and over again way down the road i'm going to be using way less energy way less intensity to create that same result than you were in the beginning. So it might have pushed you in the beginning, forced you to adapt and change, but now your body's gotten made it easier to do. That's why you always have to train your workload. That's why in the top velocity programs, we have many levels of training. We're always pushing you up a level. And that's why be very aware. If you're like, man, my velocity's going down, but I'm doing the same thing. Well, that's the problem because you're doing the same thing. That's why your velocity is going down. You've got to change that. And also notice too, watch, when you start running, say 150 or 100 yard sprints, and all of a sudden now you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change to 50 yard sprints. I'm gonna do the same number at 50 yard sprints, but try to go with faster because it's a short amount of distance. Watch how sore you are the next day. You're like, wow, that was less distance 
same reps. Yeah, I went harder because of less distance, but God, I, I'm so sore because you change the demand, you increase the intensity, now your body has to adapt to that. And that's what you have to do. And you wanna adapt it to shorter, more explosive, shorter, more explosive, shorter, more explosive, to the point where it's like you can sit there in one split second and you can turn on every muscle in your body to maximum power and shut it off and do it again and again. And you endure that and you endure that and you endure that for as long as you can. And now you're in the game being able to do the same thing. Now let's look what it does to the body. And this is another big thing. Like we all hear testosterone. You know, we know how it links to even the legal use of drugs to drive this. But we know testosterone has typically correlates to muscle hypertrophy and growth in recovery and performance, right? Well, what happens when you do long distance running to your testosterone levels? Well, this study called chronic low testosterone levels in endurance trained men. The exercise hypogonadal—I can't even say this word. Uh, male condition. Look, look it up. I, I cannot pronounce that word, and I'll just obliterate it. But it says here. It says. Let me go down to right here. It says result. Research studies on men show the existence of a select group who, through the exposure to chronic—that means for long periods of time. Endurance exercises, so exposure to chronic endurance exercises training, have developed alter alterations in their reproductive hormonal profile, principally low rest resting testosterone levels. So the more you long distance run, the more you do slow interval for long periods of time, your resting testosterone goes down. That's gonna affect your recovery. Why is that happening? Why is that happening? All you have to do is look at a sprinter in the Olympics and look at a cross-country runner in the Olympics. They don't even look the same. They look like they're from different planets, different uh, species even. The, the sprinter looks like a, you know, a, a, a almost a bodybuilder. He's so ripped, developed, and, and volume, like in hypertrophied. And then you look at the cross-country runner and he, he looks almost, you know, very feminine. He looks not much mass, very lean, very, almost very calm, right? That's what happens. These bodies have adapted to the demands of the skill of the sport. This one adapted to the explosive sprint training, maximizing force production and pushing as hard as he can off the ground. This one is adapted to low, slow movements over extremely long periods of time almost an endless amount of time, right? And to get to this shrunken, you know, male figure, he's lost a lot of testosterone. That's why I said almost female-like. He's lost a lot of testosterone because that's what happens for his body to adapt to the endurance. It has to shed all the muscle mass so it's not pushing such of a big machine which takes more energy, which it's it needs as it needs that energy that he has to last as long as possible. So you're going to, your testosterone is going down to deteriorate the body so it's easier to move. In the sprinter, the testosterone is going up because it's not about how long I'm pushing this energy, is that I've got to push maximum force in that ground so I can accelerate as fast as possible. So understand that as a baseball player. If you're in the weight room in the offseason trying to gain size, bigger, stronger, faster, and then season you're running long distance, I've literally seen guys leave my facility and lose 50 pounds by the end of the year, I didn't even recognize them because they stopped the lifting and they went in long distance running and it just destroyed them. 
and their velos went 15 miles an hour down. So that's the lesson here, guys. We've got to understand the how this works. We've got to understand how our bodies drive the skill, and we got to understand what builds our bodies and what builds our bodies best. And that's how you train. Training is everything. Training the body allows us to create the skill, the movement uh, that's optimal. So without the body, you can't do that. And with not knowing how to train the body right and well, you're going to fail in the game. And that's what the studies are showing. So let's cut out the long distance running. Let's get into the short interval explosive high endurance training and let's get bigger, stronger, faster, throw gas. And if you need help doing that, you got to come to top velocity because that's what we do best. So appreciate you listening. If you have any comments, leave them below and we'll see you on the next episode.